Welcome to the Fax Machine. My name is Rob, and I'm here with Noah and Emily as we prepare to subvert the airwaves with our stories once left untold. Today's podcast will examine the bard and the band, the outlawed and the outrageous. Each of us will share a fact about some sensory delight. What? Wait. Oh, Wait, because censor, like censorship. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I did not yeah, get yeah, that. Okay. No, yeah. No, <laughs> sa- save your taste facts for later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But once we share all of our facts, at the end, there'll be a pub-style trivia quiz loosely inspired by that theme. And before we get started, just a reminder to check our social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter, at FactsMachinePod, and on Facebook, at FactsMachinePodcast. Find us on all these platforms to herald in our second calendar year of podcasting. Woo! Woohoo! Yeehaw! We made it! <laughs> and with that, we'll begin today's podcast with Noah. Thanks, Rob. This week I learned that the American Library Association maintains a list of the top 100 banned or challenged books. Number 69 is Fahrenheit 451, a book about banning books. (laughs) Nice. Very meta. Yeah, and and so Fahrenheit 451 is so frequently challenged uh, and has been banned so often because one of the books that is burned is the Bible. And people get really upset about that. Yeah, it doesn't go over very well. Yeah, <laughs> typically not. No, I don't like the Bible either, but Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the Bible is actually often uh, is in the top 100 uh, most frequently challenged books as well for like religious themes. Huh. Um, and I, I think it's sort of more like people are retaliating for basically every other book on the list is because like religious people think that Harry Potter supports the occult and is going to rot children's souls. But the thing that strikes me about that, by the way, the Harry Potter is the number one most challenged or banned book by far. Hmm. And so what's interesting about Harry Potter uh, is that although it's usually criticized by religious censors um, for depicting the occult or allegedly satanic influences, the thing I find strangest about that argument is that the whole wizarding world seems to take Christmas really seriously. And like every single year, the whole school goes home and the entire school is like magically decked out in like all this Christmas stuff. And it's like, apparently, everyone at Hogwarts is like super Christian. <laughs> like, so, I mean, I don't know. I, I just think that maybe the Puritans are right, and it's secretly a pagan holiday after all. I always get a ton of <laughs> flack for this, but my holiday playlist includes the Harry Potter Christmas theme. Yeah. And it comes on all the time, and everyone's like, this is the Harry Potter theme. And I'm like, no, but wait. <laughs> and it gets very Christmassy. <laughs> So I always find the list of banned books like really amazing because it's basically the collection of the most seminal American novels that you could imagine. Um, and so like that, that same list includes The Great Gatsby by F. Scott mm-hmm. Fitzgerald, uh, famously Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, um, uh, Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Color Purple. Basically the middle school and high school reading list. Yeah. yeah. But that's not that surprising, right? Because the people who are trying to ban books are also the people who aren't so hot on school. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing, and the things that people find objectionable are fascinating. 
um, because in some books it's you know foul language. Catcher in the Rye obviously uses a lot of at the time really foul language. Some of his sexual overtones. I think Great Gatsby had, had sexual overtones. Um, but even things like George Orwell's Animal Farm, um, people objected to it because they thought that it was the, uh, a poor depiction of capitalism. People uh, thought that it, it kind of like seeded a bad sentiment. But a lot of Christians thought that it was inappropriate to have talking animals. Right. Because that was a very like unhuman like. Des- despite yeah. the fact that talking animals feature prominently in the Bible. Oh, that's true. Snake. But uh, what kind of rap does that talking animal have in the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> They're like based on our experience with talking animals. <laughs> totally cool, man. <laughs> no complaints. Never led anybody astray. <laughs> Another interesting thing about Fahrenheit 451. It tells the story about the burning of books, and the title is referential to um, the the temperature at which paper catches fire, Um, and so the auto-ignition point of paper. Hmm. And there's been some debate about why. I mean, there are are old textbooks that cite 451 degrees Fahrenheit as the ignition point of paper, but believe it or not, some scientists wanted to see if it was true. And so there is considerable <laughs> This is how that dystopian future started. <laughs> <laughs> what if we just burn a little paper? <laughs> it's a slippery slope. Yes. Um, I can imagine a speech from that future starting, I had a ream. So for reference, I thought it was really interesting that... Um, the, so the, the temperature, let's say it's 451 degrees for auto-ignition. Um, the auto-ignition temperature for gasoline, 536 degrees, so mm. considerably mm. higher. And for charcoal, is actually over 600. It's in the 660s. Um, so paper has a relatively low auto-ignition point. And so for a piece of paper to burn, experimenters found that you would have to place a piece of paper in an oven at 480 degrees, and it will take several minutes for that to happen. If you then instead take a book and place it in an oven, the density of the book will actually shunt away the heat, so the mm. edges might crisp, but the book itself won't burn at that temperature. So there's a there's also a theory, um, a kind of uh, a theory that doesn't give Ray Bradbury much credit, but he they uh, they the internet people, they believe that Ray Bradbury confused Celsius and Fahrenheit. Um, mm. Yeah, and so there is a a book called the Handbook of Physical Testing of Paper which you imagine one might look at writing a book about burning paper, uh, which lists paper's ignition temperature as 450 degrees Celsius. So this is a real book, which is a real citation. Um, the only problem is it's not really clear what testing was done to arrive at that number, and it's, it's really a, a particularly high number, um, which would actually be 391 degrees above Fahrenheit 451. Mm, yeah. Um, and so... The, the, the expectation, or I guess what, what people think is that this was done with paper made out of rayon in very specific conditions, and then he they, they conducted these experiments and published that result. But it's really unclear and improbable that that, that would be any real um, ignition temperature for paper. So uh, kind of carrying forward our facts about Ray Bradbury and Fahrenheit 451, um, I actually found out another element of the story that I think kind of furthers the irony of your initial fact 
that a book about burning books is on the list of banned books. Uh-huh. Um, so Ray Bradbury, for many years, was vehemently outspoken against Fahrenheit being available as an ebook. Hmm. Um, so hence, oh, up until recently, it would be the demise of paper books. <laughs> and until recently, all copies of Fahrenheit 451 were vulnerable to the demise described in the book. Right, because they could all be burned. So this is actually quoted in an interview that he had with the New York Times in 2009 um, with regards to Yahoo, who had asked him at the time if they could get the rights to then make Fahrenheit an ebook. Um, and he said, which I think is just very much, it's just the kind of thing that he would say. He was quite a character. Uh, they wanted to put a book of mine on Yahoo. You know what I told them? To hell with you. To hell with you. And to hell with the internet. <laughs> what a forward thinking man. Yeah. <laughs> But I will say in 2011, um, which is actually the year before he passed away, he did eventually give Simon & Schuster permission to release the ebook as part of a larger publishing deal. And the cool thing about it was that he also insisted upon an added stipulation that the ebook be available for free downloads at public libraries. Oh, that's good. So that oh, nice. is the case. You know, he could have rewritten the book as a sequel and called it Fahrenheit 2577. Is it like the signature at which silicon melts? <laughs> the melting point of silicon. Is it really? Oh, my God. <laughs> that was a really good guess. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend I'm not proud of that. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> But yeah, so Ray Bradbury, um, as I mentioned, just generally a pretty interesting guy, uh, along with the sci-fi writing that he's known for, so in the form of novels, short stories, and even scripts for TV anthologies like The Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock Hour, he also, I just found out, penned the narration script for the Epcot ride, Spaceship Earth, Oh, if that wow. rings a bell for you cool. guys. Yeah, he apparently was good friends with Walt Disney, and that was just a thing that he did, um, though it has been updated since to include, you know, technology in the way it's advanced since 1982 hmm. when the ride opened. Um, but another really funny thing that I found that I thought would be worth mentioning um, is that he could have been featured on the podcast already as part of the space burial fact that I shared many moons ago in our space episode because he once expressed in an interview a desire to have his ashes interred in a Campbell's tomato soup can on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> He's buried in L.A. instead, but thanks to NASA, he does have a memorial of sorts on Mars. Uh, the site where the Mars Curiosity rover touched down in 2012 is called Bradbury Landing. Oh. Oh, nice. And he, cool. he was, he's uh, buried in L.A.? Yes. That's appropriate then, because he's buried among the stars. Hey! Ah, ah! <laughs> <laughs> also, his headstone identifies him as the author of Fahrenheit 451, which I kind of appreciate. Just like Ray Bradbury. Yeah, that Ray Bradbury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So a couple more stories about challenged or banned books um, on the American Library Association's list. In the 1990s, the original edition of Where's Waldo was banned because in a scene on the beach, the side of a woman's breast, along with a possible, although nearly microscopic nipple, can be seen as she reclines on the sand. Honestly, that's what? a pretty amazing find. <laughs> like, if you if you can see that, then you should have was, no problem finding yeah, Waldo. Like the, the illustrations are so tiny. I know, and it was. It's, I mean, I, I'm imagining someone with like a jewelry like eyeglass, yeah. just like like face to the book, like ah. <laughs> I knew it had to be somewhere. <laughs> oh my god! After so many pages. <laughs> <laughs> that's so another one uh, that this is. This is weird. The Another book that was banned uh, was The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank, which was banned um, among also in other places, but uh, by the Alabama State Textbook Committee because it was, quote, a real downer. That is no, a direct quote why? 
from the report from the Alabama State Textbook Committee in the late 90s, why they removed it from the reading list. Yeah, I don't like to read the Alabama State Science Standards, because they're also a real down. <laughs> <laughs> Can we ban those two? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay, uh, another one is um, Little Red Riding Hood uh, has been banned because it depicts the use of alcohol. Um, one of the adaptions of the book by author Trina... Oh my god. This, so this person's name, I can like barely get through. Her name is Trina... The, okay. The author's name is Trina Shart Hyman. <laughs> Goodness. Wait, Trina Shart Hyman. So, okay. So here's a question. Oh. Hyphenated, I imagine, right? No. So three, three, either that was already your full name or with the surname <laughs> Shart, she met a guy named Hyman and was like, eh, uh, it's already better. there. Like, whatever. <laughs> Trina. Um... The author, Trina Schardheimen, includes a bottle of wine in Little Red Riding Hood's basket. And in the book, her mom says, I want you to take this loaf of fresh bread, some of this sweet butter, and a bottle of wine to your grandmother. She is sick in bed, and they will do her a world of good. Later in the book, an illustration depicts the grandmother holding the half-empty bottle of wine with a flushed face, and the text reads, After a while, the grandmother felt quite strong and healthy. <laughs> <laughs> And, and a representative, I, mean, I think it's a, a Culver City, California school district, said, um, the book was not included because its message was inconsistent with our program against substance abuse. It says drinking wine makes one feel better. To feel better, there are other things one can do, such as take a walk or go jogging. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what your <laughs> life is like, but I go jogging so that I can drink wine. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, yeah, tell your bedridden grandmother, you'd be fine if you just got out of here and went jogging. <laughs> Jog, grandma. Yeah, that was really, Jeez. really insensitive. <laughs> so, one last thing. Uh, the New York Times published a trove of documents pertaining to the Brooklyn Public Library's responses to requests to remove books from circulation. So, if you're into combing through these tedious correspondences between prudish Brooklynites and public librarians, then you will love reading these. <laughs> um, and I did. And something that stood out to me is how often people write in claiming to have been utterly surprised by how the book they checked out was, quote, totally pornographic. But then where they have to write the name of the offending book, it's, it's always something like, sex stuff, a sex book. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's stunning how often they're just like, oh, I'll just check off this book with a crazy name. All It's like, what is sex book? And then it's just like, I was appalled at the depiction of sex things. <laughs> Thanks, Noah. Emily, what have you got for us? This week, I learned that Pope Clement VIII, rebuking his advisor's insistence that it was the devil's drink and should be banned, once tried coffee and liked it so much that he formally blessed it so as to cheat the devil and make it okay for Catholics to consume. Oh, no, he did it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, he did. So (laughs) this happened in the late 16th century uh, when Europeans were starting to explore faraway lands and trade with their Middle Eastern and Asian neighbors. And it was during this time that coffee made its earliest appearances on the European continent. And just as it was met with a likely surge in productivity, it was also met with disdain and distrust, in part due to its origins in Muslim countries culture, as Europe was predominantly Catholic. Pope Clement VIII, however, was surprisingly open-minded for his time and position, and opted to try some of that sweet, sweet java, despite its reputation as 
quote, a bitter invention of Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it wasn't Satan who was bitter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everyone who couldn't drink it. It was so grumpy as a consequence. Yeah. Yeah. But per legend, upon tasting it, he said, why, this Satan's drink is so delicious that it would be a pity to let the infidels have exclusive use of it. (laughs) And then he blessed it so that Catholics could freely get their buzz on. So this fact proved to be uh, like a sort of a springboard for my headlong dive into the world of attempts to ban coffee throughout history and across cultures. So given the wealth of coffee ban related stories that I happened to stumble upon, um, I would now like to present to you a cross-cultural chronology of occasions in which coffee was banned or its banning was attempted throughout history. So coffee drinking first caught on in the Middle East in the 16th century, and the first recorded instance of its banning was in 1511, when a Meccan governor called for the closure of all coffee houses, which had sprung up all over the place, as the popularity of coffee and also social coffee drinking grew. Uh, This ordinance stemmed from a fear that anti-government ideas and rebellious plotting were brewing among the (laughs) caffeine-fueled intellectual conversations Uh, that happened in such establishments. (laughs) You know? Let me have this. <laughs> the coffee ban and ensuing public debate about the potential of coffee to instigate sinful behavior, um, which was the argument behind the banning of alcohol, continued for 13 years until the Ottoman Turkish Sultan uh, Selim I overturned the ban, proclaimed coffee to actually be sacred, and had that poor governor executed for his actions. The status of coffee within the Ottoman Empire actually continued to change over the next century. Um, And indeed, in the 17th century, another sultan actually made its consumption a capital offense and beheaded anybody who was caught mid-sip. But its popularity remained strong enough to pervade throughout the years and, thanks to the Age of Exploration, throughout the world. So coffee reached England in the 1660s, and as previously, uh, with the arrival of coffee, so followed the coffee houses, and so followed the vocal disdain and distrust by presumably grumpy, sleep-deprived Puritans. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Uh, So long. Friends of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Frenemies of the pod. (laughs) Yeah. That's a new category. Frenemies of the pod. Yes. That includes uh, Puritans Puritans. and the American Peanut Association. (laughs) (laughs) Jellyfish and mistletoe. Yeah. So along with the typical accusations of stirring up dangerous thinking and insurrection, coffee was also blamed for another pressing issue. So per the 1674 women's petition against coffee, Mm -hmm. thanks to the drink, in quotes, men have become as unfruitful as the deserts whence that unhappy berry is said to be brought. So much so that the offspring of our mighty ancestors would dwindle into a succession of apes and pygmies. Whoa, I can't tell if this is racist or alarmist about infertility. So I think it's a little bit of each. The main, the main yes. concern is fertility, wow. but dwindling into a succession of apes and pygmies certainly Jesus is not Christ. very yeah. positive. There's a lot but, packed into that. Yeah, there's a lot. Well, <laughs> the way that I thought to kind of like, in case it wasn't clear, uh, explain that with another euphemism. While coffee definitely has the effect of perking you up mentally, Puritan wives complained that it had the opposite effect elsewhere for their husbands. Oh, oh snap! <laughs> no, I wouldn't, obviously. <laughs> I'm not sure if this is like fitting for the podcast, but there was a men's answer to the women's petition against coffee, and it's very graphic. 
Uh, in response, there was, of course, a men's answer to the women's petition against coffee, because God forbid Omen ever has the last word. <laughs> and their retort was that it was actually wine and muddy ale that made men impotent. Coffee, on the other hand, was the Viagra of the day, making, in quotes, the erection more vigorous, the ejaculation more full, adding a spiritual ascendancy to the sperm. <laughs> I what? don't believe a Puritan said that. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of believe coffee does that. But, yeah, I don't know if that's fitting to go in, but I just, like, come on. It's so ridiculous. Uh, let me just say, that I, you know, I'm afraid that I'm going to out myself as, as, like, there being something wrong with me, but I've never gotten an erection from drinking coffee. Is that normal? <laughs> Am I... Normal? Well, no, so here's the thing. Well, I would... So caffeine is a vasoconstrictor, so I wouldn't expect it to give you an erection. If anything, it should have the opposite effect, probably mildly, but Vi- Viagra is a vasodilator, so caffeine oh. would actually act in contradiction to that. Huh. Huh. The more you know. So the last uh, instance of coffee banning that I wanted to mention, just because I think such a list would not be complete without an honorable mention for Sweden, um, was that Sweden actually tried to ban coffee five times between the years of 1746 and 1817. So the first royal edict to do so in 1746 was issued under King Gustav III, and, and he basically decried coffee as being a public health risk. So we found that it was really unhealthy. And actually, um, a proponent of his assessment was none other than Carl Linnaeus, oh. who you guys recognize, oh. recognize as the father of modern taxonomy. So the yeah. genus, species, all of that naming system. He claimed coffee caused everything from hemorrhoids and constipation to senility and sudden death. I'd but, still drink it. Yeah. <laughs> worth, worth it. it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also, like, just to mention a small caveat, tobacco, on the other hand, by his, you know, view, was totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> and great for preventing and treating all sorts of illnesses. But anyways, King Gustav III convinced that coffee was a secret, silent, caffeinated killer, sought to demonstrate its supposed effects by orchestrating what is nowadays, in a tongue-in-cheek sort of way, referred to as the first Swedish clinical trial. Hmm. So basically, he took a pair of twins who had both been sentenced to capital punishment and offered them a life sentence instead if one twin agreed to drink three pots of coffee while the other twin agreed to drink three pots of tea every day for the rest of their lives. So they agreed, obviously, and were assigned physicians who monitored them and then reported back to the king. Unfortunately for King Gus, the coffee-drinking twin not only didn't die an earlier death, he outlived his tea-drinking brother, both of the physicians, and King Gustav himself. <laughs> yeah. No, he was yeah. not only... He did, so the doctors died of natural causes, and that was funny yes. enough because they didn't live long... They didn't outlive the, their subjects that they were supposedly poisoning with coffee and tea. Right. But uh, Gustav <laughs> III actually died because he was assassinated, probably because he was being a real asshole about the whole coffee thing. Mm-hmm. But his the story of his assassination is pretty crazy, actually. So the um, the Swedish nobility at the time was not thrilled with the king because he had like seized power a couple years earlier in a, in a coup d'état and was basically ruling as an autocrat and he had started like a basically pointless war against Russia. Um, so the conspirators uh, got together and they planned to kill him at an upcoming masquerade ball. And at some point, one of the conspirators, uh, a guy with a great name, Carl Pontus Lilyhorn. <laughs> I don't know why, it just makes me smile. Um, <laughs> Carl Pontus Lilyhorn had a change of heart and wrote an anonymous letter to the king um, to warn him that went something like this. To the king, certain individuals exist that only breathe hatred and revenge against you. 
indeed to the extreme of wanting to shorten your days through murder. (laughs) (laughs) They rejoice at the tidings of seeing that there will be a masquerade today. There is nothing more serviceable for an assassination than darkness and disguise. I appeal to you, by everything that is holy in this world, to postpone this damnable ball. (laughs) Guess what? He did not. (laughs) Apparently, he got death threats, like, all the time, and was like, whatever, YOLO. And so, so basically, the very second that he walked in, he was surrounded, greeted by the ringleader with a bonjour beau masque, which in French means, hello, fine masked man, and was shot in the back. And his last words were, I feel sleepy, a few moments rest would do me good. And you know what might have helped out with that sleepiness? Some goddamn coffee. So righteous killer knows book. So, I looked up a couple things about other papal bands and other food bands. So, interestingly, our current Pope has actually um, banned a few things himself. Um, and the one that's actually maybe the most useful is he has um, Pope Francis, our current acting Pope of the Catholic Church, banned the sale of cigarettes in the Vatican um, as of a couple of years ago, which is a really interesting move. Because, like, a lot of cardinals were hanging out the window smoking and people thought there was a new Pope. <laughs> no, Pope! <laughs> no, stop! <laughs> Like three false alarms a day, it was getting ridiculous. <laughs> There's probably some faction of cardinals doing just that. Yeah. <laughs> then in terms of food bans, I found some really interesting bans on food. And there's one I just want to get into because there's a really interesting individual attached to this. Um, and so some famous food bans around the world that you may have heard of is that Singapore in 1992 instituted a ban on chewing gum. Yes, yeah. because their sidewalks are spotless. Oh, now, yeah. Well, now they are, yeah. No, I- the fine for, like, for chew, like having chewing gum is crazy as well, right? Well, so the, the the fine or the penalty in Singapore was... Tell, tell me which of these two you think is worse. A fine of up to $1,000 or two years in prison. <laughs> <laughs> when was this? When was this? $1,000 might have been a lot. Well, the law went into effect in 1992, and I think it's oh. the existing <laughs> law. <laughs> so either way, like, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there's a uh, an Islamic group called Al Shabab that is um, running Somalia right now. It's actually considered a terrorist group. They have banned several things. One of which is samosas. So samosas are are three pointed food, and they think they bear too much resemblance to the Holy Trinity, and that they're a Catholic resistance symbol, or oh, sorry, that they're a Christian resi- resistance symbol. Um, so they've banned samosas outright for being too Christian. Okay. Um, but other things that Al-Shabaab has banned, and listen to this, is that they've banned single-use plastic bags because they say, quote, from a translation, they pose a serious threat to the well-being of humans and animals alike. Yeah. And you're like, wow. <laughs> Spot on. I mean, oh, a, little, little, a little column A, a little column B. Yeah. <laughs> so, no samosas, that's too bad. No plastic bags, that's pretty good. Also on their hit list is um, Western music, cinema, fiber optics, and humanitarian aid. Fiber optics? Yeah, they're really not into it. <laughs> um, but, sorry, so the, the the one food I really want to talk about is mangosteen. Um, which I, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, I've seen that before. They're kind man- of like mangosteen? white and sort of like... Um, like segmented on the inside, but with like a red exterior? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Red or purple. Um, mangosteen is a fruit that is actually not allowed in North America, um, typically. It's mm. not allowed to be imported into North America. 
Uh, so some people have imported seeds and then grown it. It doesn't grow super well here. There's a, a fruit fly-like pest that, that uh, grows in it, and they don't want to introduce that. So you can bring the seeds. Yes. Because you can clean the pest off. Yes. I see. Um, but the, import, the importing of the fruit has, has kind of been banned for a very long time. And I was reading about it there, there, because it's supposed to be this delicious fruit. And actually, the only time I've ever heard of it is there's a Snapple flavor called peach mango That's steam. how I know what it looks like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's the only context I'd say most Americans have with mango steam. And they're like, haha, they made a hey, funny joke. Rob, um, it's not most. <laughs> <laughs> we are in an elite group Wait, of Snapple most, drinkers. Most of this podcast, maybe. <laughs> yeah, listeners, tell me you, you too walk right into the deli and look for the peach mangosteen Snapple. <laughs> Interesting. But um, So mangosteen was this really kind of sought-after fruit, and there's this apocryphal account that Queen Victoria offered a reward of 100 pounds sterling to anyone who could deliver her a fresh fruit. Um, and this is apocryphal because there's no... Uh, evidence of this offer being made except in the account of one David Fairchild. So he, he was a student in agriculture in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Um, but so he worked for the Office of Seed and Plant Introduction in the U.S. and he is credited with the introduction of more than 200,000 exotic plants into the United States. And it's just, it's 200,000 plants, which they're deemed exotic plants because at the time they didn't exist in the U.S. They included soybeans, pistachios, mangoes, nectarines, wow. dates, bamboo, cherries, most varieties of wheat, cotton, and rice wow. that he oh, introduced man. into the United States. That's amazing. Um, and it's, it's not all, because we had certain types of cotton, certain types of wheat before 1900, but he introduced so many varieties and cultivars that didn't exist in the United States. Amazing. Um, just cool. unbelievably fascinating character. Um, he took several trips around the world. He did correspond with like British royalty, which is why he he made this claim about like a um, hundred pounds sterling for mangosteen to Queen Victoria. Um, but but he, he was this kind of just outstanding botanist of the late 1800s. His Wikipedia page described him as a plant explorer, and so I had to click. <laughs> <laughs> That means a melon fucker, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I explored those fruits biblically. <laughs> All right, thanks, Emily. And I'll finish up with my fact. So this week I learned that in the town of Tuschen, Poland, the counselors declared that Winnie the Pooh was unfit to be the mascot of their children's playground. Why? Yeah, why indeed? So Winnie the Pooh is a beloved child storybook character, and for whatever reason, the Council of Tush in Poland said that he was, quote, a half-naked hermaphrodite of dubious sexuality <laughs> and was not suitable what? for a children's playground. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> he just likes honey. So there have been certainly many jokes about Winnie the Pooh. But this town really kind of out of left field banned Winnie the Pooh entirely from, from the playground. So he could not be the mascot, nor, nor could any likeness of him be present. Um, and this was seen as a really kind of draconian measure against Winnie the Pooh. Um, <laughs> the backlash from parents was swift. So many parents obviously like Winnie the Pooh because it's a way to not deal with your child for half an hour at a time. Of course, yeah. 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 But the, the, the counselors of this town would not relent, and it's still, I believe, on the books banned. So no, no likeness or image of Winnie the Pooh is allowed. Wow. And it, it seems just a little... And it, the, the counselors drew a lot of scrutiny because they were not very, um, I guess, tactful 
in their dismissal of Winnie the Pooh. So first of all, the majority of children's characters, like storybook characters, are naked. Most of them are animals. So this shouldn't be a big deal, but it was to these people, probably because he was wearing a shirt mm. and no pants, like Donald Duck or a dozen other child's characters. It becomes like a sin of omission kind of thing. This one counselor was really hung up on the fact that they couldn't tell if he was a boy or a girl, and that bothered him so much that that was really the nail in the coffin in this particular instance, which seemed just such an unbelievable indictment of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> That's going to be the next movie, actually. <laughs> the unbelievable indictment. <laughs> it's funny you mention that, um, because uh, another place that has banned Winnie the Pooh, or at least images of Winnie the Pooh, uh, is in China, because they are frequently used on Chinese social media to make fun of Chinese President Xi Jinping, who apparently bears a striking resemblance to Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so basically, um, it started when uh, she visited the U.S. in 2013 to meet with President Obama, um, and an image of the two leaders walking side by side was compared to an image of Winnie the Pooh walking next to Tigger, and that was deemed to be unfavorable to uh, she. So then, after that, later, a photo of she and Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe shaking hands was compared to a different photo of Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore shaking hands. And this basically was unflattering to everyone involved, because, of course, she, in his normal uh, resemblance to Winnie the Pooh, um, that was fine, seen that before, but also Shinzo Abe just looked kind of depressed, and so it was like this really, really funny picture where he looked a lot like Eeyore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, and another funny thing about that is that, you know, in addition to images of Winnie the Pooh having been banned, also um, the Winnie the Pooh film Christopher Robin that was released recently was denied release in China uh, in order to prevent further unflattering comparisons. So it's, ha- I mean, it's it's serious. They really don't like this. Um, kind of tangential to that, I actually uh, sort of just, as part of the larger scheme, I guess, of looking into sort of censorship of certain images, uh, kind of delved into fil- like film censorship in China. So uh, similarly, as you just mentioned, uh, Christopher Robin was banned. So I looked into criteria for banning a film in China or editing out particular scenes for Chinese audiences. Um, and the criteria can sort of be summed up into four categories. Um, so you have like political offenses, anything that undermines the Chinese constitution or could incite resistance to the government, uh, cultural offenses, so anything deemed disrespectful to Chinese culture or that depicts elements of it in a negative light, um, affronts to social morality, so in that case anything showing criminal activity um, or vices like porn or gambling or any overt sexuality or homosexuality. And uh, a last one that I saw referred to as feudalistic ideology, <laughs> which is I wasn't sure what to make of that phrase, but apparently that is in reference to anything supernatural, pseudoscientific, uh, or in contradiction with the national religious policy. So no witchcraft, ghosts, possession, cults, all the fun stuff. Interesting. Yeah. Um, So (laughs) given that context, um, a few well-known films that you cannot watch in China and why you can't watch them, uh, Back to the Future, banned because of time travel and the view of writing history. I know, how sad is that? Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Because it shows live-action characters and animated characters commingling, which I guess does not happen in real life. Um, Another classic, Babe, Pig in the City. Banned because it depicts a live-action animal that can talk. Yes, as we've discussed. Ah, talking animals. Unacceptable. Exactly. (laughs) What? 
Um, World War Z, surprising to me because zombies, obvious, but also because apparently um, Brad Pitt is in it, and any films that he's in are generally banned ever since he starred in Seven Years in Tibet, which is unsurprisingly also banned. Right. Um, Noah. Not you. Mm-hmm. The Noah's Ark movie with Russell right. Crowe. I mean, you might be banned from China. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Although I think that could I mean, maybe after this podcast. <laughs> we <laughs> have been talking about Winnie the Pooh a lot. We're all banned. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it shows profits. And then also Suicide Squad and Deadpool. Um, both because it was decided that even after all of the objectionable material was removed, there wouldn't be enough film left for them to actually be released as <laughs> films. <laughs> You know what's funny? <laughs> you know what's funny about that of the criteria that you just mentioned was that one of them was like sort of magical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but Star Wars is a huge movie in China. That's technology. Really? No, but the force but is, is pretty clearly like yeah. sort of a mystical religion that's portrayed as such. And like, so for some mm-hmm. offenses, they'll go and either edit the films or like reframe certain things. That You're telling me that in China they air a movie <laughs> Star Wars that doesn't have anything to do with the force. I don't know. They might have cut out all of those things. They're like when Darth Vader was choking the guy, just like afterwards, like put a guy in the Actually choking him. When he's like choking the guy from off, you know, when he's talking to the guy on exactly. the screen, it's like Admiral whatever, and then just his hand comes out from the side of the view screen. <laughs> the guy's, the guy's feet take up off the floor, this. and then a little block goes in under the I would so see that though, like a version of Star Wars where everything like magical is just explained. Like, yeah. talk. These aren't the droids you're looking for. And he presents like ID papers. Like, oh yeah. Oh, it seems like all your papers are in order. Carry please, on. please continue. <laughs> so another movie I saw that was part of this ban was shockingly the Pirates of the Caribbean series, um, because it depicts zombies. In that the pirates are undead uh, in the moonlight, they become zombies and they look like humans right. in regular light. And so, because of that, that whole franchise like had trouble airing and wasn't for a long time allowed to be shown in China. Although it is now, you can you can see the Pirates of the Caribbean now in China. Hmm. Um, but this was a really big problem, not just for like that movie franchise, but it, it hurt the popularity of the the Disney World that had the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Because they thought it would be a huge boost to the popularity of the ride into Disney World, and they couldn't mm. market it as effectively because the movies couldn't be shown because there were zombies. Oh, yeah. Also, um, speaking of Disney rides, uh, the Shanghai Disneyland also has, I think it was previously, had two attractions that were dedicated to the Winnie the Pooh, and that was the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh and Pooh's Honey Pot Spin. Um, they had to be removed uh, in order to comply with the censorship of Winnie the Pooh uh, in China. Hmm. Um, and there was also, there was, like, a lot of merchandise from, like, the Hundred Acre Woods and stuff that had to be taken out as well. Mm. So is there now, like, a burgeoning black market in China for Winnie the Pooh-themed products? Because that would be pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> so a few other countries actually had objections to Winnie the Pooh for various reasons. Um, one of which I found was Turkey, um, which uh, banned Winnie the Pooh. And actually for the strangest of reasons that, um, and I believe this is the case, that they, they did not... Uh, for, they had religious objections to the character Piglet, who is a pig, having a major role in the movie because of sentiments of many of the citizens of Turkey towards pigs. Um, and so when Winnie the Pooh was originally released like a long time ago in Turkey, the, the, the television network, the public television network, thought that they could edit Piglet out of the movie. 
<laughs> and when they realized that would be too hard, because they tried, apparently, and they realized it wouldn't work, so they just banned the whole franchise. So can I ask you a question? Is Piglet wearing a shirt, or does he have a weirdly segmented body? It's quite a good question. I really have no idea. Guys, listeners, go look up Piglet and tell me that he looks like a pig. He looks like an armadillo. Or kind of I feel like, like it's a onesie. Like a roly poly bug. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's like wearing like a like a swimsuit? Like an old yeah, like a, swimsuit. Like, yeah, like a one piece swimsuit, basically. Mm-hmm. That's his general skin color. I mean, if he was sewn together at one point in his Oh right, pig history. Toys. That's yeah. the premise, so No, but his regular sort of bands, like mm-hmm. Yeah. But maybe that's just the pink cloth that was available at the oh. time. No, I think that's true. <laughs> I think that's utterly unbelievable. Yeah, the person who said him right now was like, well, <laughs> this will have to do. <laughs> so looking into the, the woes that Piglet caused in Turkey, I also found some other Turkish bands, including, as of 2017, Wikipedia. Oh. Hmm. In 2015, Turkey had banned several pages on Wikipedia. So this is from the folks over at No Such Thing as a Fish, their uh, book of the year, 2017. And it uh, compiles a list of the things that were banned on Wikipedia back in 2015. Um, pages such as uh, vulva, human penis, vagina, <laughs> and 2015 Turkish general election. Uh, okay. <laughs> Wait, so it's it vulva. Yes. Human penis. Specifically. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's all, it's all moot now because the in- entirety of Wikipedia is banned. So <laughs> that includes every penis. Oh, so, so after okay. that they banned all of Wikipedia. In two, that, as of like 2017, there's a complete ban on Wikipedia. Wow. Oh, yeah. man. Which is quite fascinating. So I have uh, one other kind of interesting time where, um, where censorship and Winnie the Pooh came, came head to head. So there is a, uh, an advertisement for a, a swimming pool that uh, in the West featured a mother, a father, uh, several children sitting around a swimming pool. And apparently this same ad in Saudi Arabia uh, features that family, except they are heavily censored. So the father and the children are covered entirely in dark clothing, sitting around the pool. So they're fully dressed, no longer in swimsuits. The mother is completely removed from the poster, and her likeness has been replaced with a Winnie the Pooh beach ball. <laughs> Inexplicably. <laughs> That's funny. But in China, it's a Mickey Mouse beach ball. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would assume. Uh, well, do you guys know how Winnie the Pooh got his name? No. Oh. So uh, at the outbreak of World War I, Canadian veterinarian Harry Colborne was on his way to report to the Canadian Army Veterinary Corps uh, when he saw a trapper holding a bear cub by a piece of string around its neck. Harry rescued the cub by purchasing her for $20, which at the time is over $400 in today's money. Uh, He named her Winnipeg, which was shortened to Winnie after his hometown. Uh, Harry and Winnie became best of friends and also sort of famous, with the bear becoming somewhat of a regimental mascot as they went through basic training and then traveling with Harry's unit across the Atlantic Ocean to England. So at that point, Harry realized it probably wouldn't be safe to bring him to fight in France. Um, Wait, for who? <laughs> well, the Germans, obviously. I mean, it's an unfair advantage. Come on. Yeah. Um, so, so, but no, it wasn't safe, obviously, to keep him there. Um, and there were other things to be worried about. So he convinced the London Zoo, uh, where they were stationed, waiting to go to France, uh, to take her in. And in London, Winnie became this huge celebrity 
who was visited frequently by none other than A.A. Milne and his son, Christopher Robin. Um, A.A. Milne was the the author of the Winnie the Pooh books, and Christopher mm-hmm. Robin obviously is both his real-life son and a character who had a teddy bear that he actually renamed to Winnie in her honor. Huh. Um, and just as an extra point of trivia, do you guys know what he renamed the bear uh, to Winnie from? Hmm. No, no idea. Well, by way of answering that question, let me first say that the, interestingly, the Latin translation of Winnie the Pooh, Winnie il Pooh, is the, <laughs> is the only Latin book to be on the New York Times bestseller list ever. It was on it for 20 straight weeks, which is pretty impressive. Wow. And it was also the first foreign language book ever to do so. Um, and I have the first line from that book here, and friends of the podcast will know uh, that uh, Rob is a student of the Latin language. Mm. Um, and I was hoping that you would do a dramatic reading of the first line of Winnie il Pooh <laughs> for us right now. <laughs> that would be my pleasure. Let's see here. Ece, Edwardus Ursus Scalus, nunc tump tump tump. Occipite gratis pulsante post. Christophorum Robinum Descendens. Okay, and so in English that means here is Edward Bear, which is what the bear's name was. Edward Bear, okay. then changed to Winnie, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, coming downstairs now, bump, bump, bump on the back of his head behind Christopher Robin. Because Christopher Robin was like holding the teddy bear and by its arm and carrying it down the stairs. And so its head was going like bump, bump, bump down the stairs. Which apparently in Latin is tump, tump, tump. <laughs> I don't know why they needed to change that, but I'm sure there's a very good reason. Um, so, so using "eche" there actually, it, it, it's the it's the verb form of look, like huh. look here, um, and so to say like draw your attention to this thing, like "eche," like something over there, and like all my Latin primers, like the the stories would be like "eche Romani," like look the Romans, <laughs> <laughs> is what the Romans would say. <laughs> I'm saying it was like everyone the Romans conquered. Like, yeah. like Ece, Romani, fuck! <laughs> oh, nuts. All right. And so that brings us to our quiz. So this week, with the, the theme being I'm with the band, I figured that I would look for some band bands. Oh. And right. so this week's quiz is going to be all questions about musical acts or musicians or songs that have been banned throughout history okay. or that have led to serious censorship. So how much of history is going to be covered in this? There's a fair amount of history. I would say that if, um, I would say most of it is recent, okay. um, but not particularly recent. I would, like, let me put it this way. All of the music that I'll be referring to was probably recorded live. Ah, okay. So since the onset of the recording device... But the majority of it um, is not particularly new. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you guys ready? Yeah. Think so. Here we go. Question number one. What 1966 Beach Boys song was banned from certain U.S. radio stations on account of blasphemy? Hmm. I think I can only name one Beach Boys song. Oh, and no. the song that goes, fun, 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 fun till daddy takes the T-bird away. <laughs> but is that blasphemous? So, okay. Is it that one? <laughs> there's that, no. there's good vibrations, there's... Um... Sounds dirty, Ooh. could be that. <laughs> so, Are theremin's blasphemous? I'll feel, um... I'll, I'll give you some hints. I'm a big Beach Boys fan, so I, this was hard to tell okay. how difficult yeah. this was. This is from their album Pet Sounds, mm-hmm. um, and the song, which is not dirty... <laughs> 
But so one of the one of the ways that you can quickly find yourself in a state of blasphemy is by breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Okay. Which might include such things as taking other gods before your That's god. Number one. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. number two. Oh man, I don't know. Taking the Lord's order. name in vain. Perhaps. So is there is there a Beach Boys song yeah. that goes like God? It's fun to be. God only knows what I'd be and without you. you. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not Good a million work. years would I have identified that as a Beach Boys song, but I did know that one snippet of the chorus. So you were there. <laughs> but yeah, that was um, uh, uh, some Christians didn't want that song to be played on the radio. They thought that it was disrespectful and blasphemous. So the Beach Boys were very kind of um, they were a wholesome band, like through and through. Yeah, and they knew. And Pet Sounds was kind of their transition to more adult kind of songs. Songs, but they knew at the at the onset that this lyric could be problematic. Um, what they knew, yeah, they knew that it would be questionable <laughs> to some of their listeners, and so an alternate version they had thought about saying, "Nobody knows what I'd be without you." <laughs> Nobody uh... knows the trouble I've seen <laughs> like yeah. that. I, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, they... you know what my mistake was there. I didn't say something funny. <laughs> 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 so, wait, so I assume okay. this was before John Lennon said the Beatles were bigger than Jesus because I feel like that would have it was actually <laughs> contemporaneous it was very very uh, nearly the okay. same time and if you don't know the story um, <laughs> if yeah, you're not caught up on arcane on the New Testament or <laughs> <laughs> so Jesus was this guy <laughs> who is this Jesus figure so we have God but then we have Jesus <laughs> God, Jesus, and, then there's and John the, Lennon. Then there's the Holy Spirit, but that's a whole other fucking thing. <laughs> you can't have samosas. It's a... <laughs> Honestly, Holy Spirit, more trouble than it's worth. <laughs> Ooh, what a mess we found ourselves in question one. <laughs> but, but it was about the same time that John Lennon made a statement, jokingly, that, yeah, like, someone had interviewed him and said, you guys are really popular. And he said, yeah, we're bigger than Jesus. <laughs> Yeah. Honestly, Rob, that's one of your better accents. <laughs> that's pretty good. Super proud of that. <laughs> the Beatles. <laughs> so, question two. Okay. Actually, and I should say that this this is a little bit of an indication. A lot of songs that that kind of fell under music censorship that are still well known came out in this time period. And mm. unfortunately for you guys, I loved the '60s musically. Oh, of course. From, Same here. From, so bring it. Yeah, so this, <laughs> you'll find many songs coming from this kind of 20-year time period. Okay. Excellent. Um, yeah. Okay, so question number two. A 31-month FBI investigation... Is it Louie Louie? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Louie Louie. <laughs> That's it? So for, for the listeners... For the, for the dumbfounded listeners. <laughs> and Emily. Emily, too. <laughs> well, first of all, I have to say that even before, I was just, I knew Louie Louie was going to be in here because it's famously like a song that was like investigated at FBI and banned because they thought it had some like crazy lyrics that it actually did not, it just didn't have at all. Yeah. Um, huh. Yeah. And so it's, the, the question has stated, a 31-month FBI investigation, which was launched to determine if there was any profanity making a song obscene concluded that what 1963 song could not be interpreted and that it was, quote, unintelligible at any speed. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is the Kingsman classic. Um, or do you want to... <laughs> yeah, so let me just say that um, 
basically because the song was so was I mean listen to it go listen to it because there are so many lyrics that it's so difficult to hear what they're saying and the whole thing is like you know it's like it's really really difficult it's it's accurate I'm serious and then so um they said so this is what the lyrics were like the first part was Louie Louie uh me gotta go Okay, which isn't really English to begin with, but um, but the way it was rendered I mean, the popular imagination was Louie Louie, grab her way down low. But somehow, the wow. way you can, yeah. but then what's funny is if you, if you, somebody tells you that, you can go back and listen and you're like, I definitely hear. It's like a lyrical Rorschach test. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and kind of amazingly, so the lyrics were, were listed in the Library of Congress, as yeah. most lyrics are, and the FBI said, we didn't even look at those. <laughs> they were irrelevant to our That's investigation. That's what it's there for. <laughs> but no, but they're just so, like, you, you can look at those words and listen to the song, and you could, like, you could convince yourself it's true, and you could also say, like, there's no way. All right. Question number three. Uh, what senator's wife came home to find her daughter listening to the Prince song Nikki, which included the lyrics... I knew a girl, Nikki. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby, masturbating with a magazine. <laughs> what, Senator? Yes. Yeah. This led her to lead uh, to lobby for explicit content labels uh, on music packaging. Well, I remember that the lead singer of Twisted Sister, uh, he testified in front of the Senate committee on whatever, was bored enough to do this, mm-hmm. um, about... The fact that his, you know, that he has, he's a family man, despite what his image may suggest, and that his lyrics did not, are not, you know, overly vulgar or whatever, and then just basically uh, in support of the First Amendment. Uh, but I can't remember who, what senator was in charge of that. Yeah, I have no idea. Is there any, is, would his name be recognizable? So the senator. Oh, it's somebody, it's like, is it like Ted Kennedy? So it's someone who I'd say is more famous even than Ted Kennedy. The senator went on to become considerably more famous. His wife is also a fairly famous name because she, she kind of rose um, in stature with, with her husband. But also because like she eventually succeeded in getting explicit content labels on music. But I'd say they were, they were fairly famous in Tennessee at the time. Tennessee. It's Al Gore. It's Tippy Gore. Yes. Okay. That's oh, it. So nice. Tipper Gore found her daughter. Tippy or Tipper? Tipper. It's Tipper Gore, yeah. not Tippy Gore. Uh, Tippy Liston, maybe? I don't know. Tipper came home to find her daughter singing uh, this Prince song, Nikki, to herself. Um, looked up the lyrics, found them to be vile, as I've as I've made clear. Yeah. I think, and that put <laughs> that's her, Prince. That's Prince, yeah. But so it put her on it put her onto the state of music at the time. And actually, Twisted Sister uh, also had one of their songs make it onto her list of filthy fifteen uh, fifteen songs that no child should be able to listen to. Right. Um, mm. And th- the song, we're not going to take it. Wow. Yeah, and there are some. There, you know, a lot of the songs on the list. First of all, were from bands that kids were not listening to. Yeah, there's a lot of like really heavy metal or real, really obscure rock, like Mozart. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do Max you know? Sicko. Yeah, no, I'm serious. Mozart actually, some of his uh, lesser known works are incredibly inappropriate, um, and the most famous one is uh, "Lech mich am Arsch." Which is just German for lick my ass. What? And the lyrics to this. I, this, I swear to God, this is Mozart in 1780, something like that. And it was basically written as like a, just like a party song for his friends as like a joke. And there's so many things that like Mozart did that were just sort of deliberately sort of raunchy songs. And like... <laughs> 
basically this the, this is the weirdest thing about the song is I remember this is that the the like fa- most famous lyric is lick me in the ass quickly quickly etc <laughs> <laughs> I swear to god this is it I mean he was a child prodigy so he probably wrote that as like a 13 year old and then it makes sense <laughs> <laughs> alright question number four and this is an interesting etymology fact that I found out hmm. What timeless pop song was based on a Bahamian Joseph Spence's brown skin gal, but was changed for no reason, according to the artist? Oh, I know it. Is it Brown Eyed Girl? It is Brown Eyed Girl, yeah. <laughs> oh. So Van Morrison's Brown Eyed Girl uh, was based on the, not not entirely, it, like Brown Eyed Girl is a very unique song compared to Brown Skin Gal. Uh-huh. There's some musical elements that kind of carry over. There are no lyrics to Brown right. Skin Gal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a, it's a Bahamian song that's kind of, uh, it, it pays tribute to an interracial couple is, okay. is kind of the point of it. Um, and Brown Eyed Girl uh, may be referring to that same relationship, but it is kind of very watered Subtler, out. more yeah. subtle, yeah. yeah. This is not the reason that it was actually censored on the radio, though. Oh, what was that? So do you know what lyric in the song is actually very troublesome? If you sing Brown Eyed Girl to yourself? Shanana, na-na-na-na, na-na, la ti da Those nanas. <laughs> Those nanas or nonos. Yeah. <laughs> so there's one part of the song where it's, Making love in the green grass. Oh. Oh, yeah. Me, I stay young with you. Maybe it's just something. It would have to be. <laughs> but yeah, making love in the green grass was a big non-starter for a lot of radios. So, hmm. Question number five. This may be the oldest song in the quiz. What composer's ballet, Rite of Spring, debuted in Paris in 1913 to a riotous response? Is that a pun on riotous? Well, it is now. <laughs> it was actually the the newspaper articles about it called it the riot of spring. Oh, because of how poorly uh, the elite kind of opera goers of Paris received this particular wow. uh, ballet. Did you say a year? A nineteen thirteen debut. The ballet was mm. was uh, really radical for two reasons: one, because of the syncope and the heaviness of the beat, and two, because of the choreography chosen that um, had inward facing feet. Uh, really heavy kind of heel steps. And one of the reasons that this choreography was chosen was because it's about a primitive or almost primordial people. Can I ask for a, a hint about the composer? Absolutely. So they were not French. They're not even really Western European. Russian? Mm-hmm. Okay. First name was Igor. Oh. Uh, oh, oh, Merda, Merda, Merda. Uh, it starts with an M? It's an S. It's an S. I can't yeah. think of it. Oh my god, what is this? I can't remember this at all. Stravinsky. Yeah. Yes. Right. Stravinsky. Nice. Yeah. In a in a natural follow up to a classical music question. Question number six. Is it classical music if it was in the twentieth century? Orchestral ballet. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Post romantic. Or yeah, romantic. On NWA's album Straight Out of Compton, what track that professes to let artists be themselves was the only track not to use expletives. The track let artists be themselves. So the 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 kind of the gist of the song is do whatever you want, like be an artist, don't be shackled. But it's mm. the only track on the entire album that doesn't use expletives. And that's kind the of, one that was banned. So this one actually is the only one that got radio airplay, in spite of its message, because it didn't use expletives. So it's actually, it's a great song that samples a 1970 uh, R&B song by Charles Wright and the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band. 
So if you can think of like a really good sample on Straight Outta Compton with a really positive artistic message. No, I don't know what it is. No, we give <laughs> up. It's no okay. Idea. So the song is "Express Yourself." Oh, I, okay. I've heard. Uh, I, express I don't, yourself. Right. Okay. Yeah. I don't know that I would have gotten that, but I do recognize okay. it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And so it's a song about artistic expression. Yet it's the only song that caves to the RC RIAA's um, values, so that it would get radio airplay. Oh my god. <laughs> so kind of interesting. All right. Number seven. What 1960 Shirelles song? The first by a black female group to reach Billboard number one spot was banned on many radio stations for the insinuation the woman may be having a sexual encounter that night and looking about the results the day after. I feel like I don't know those songs well enough. Uh... Uh, yeah, this this is very much in my musical stronghold, so I apologize for, hmm. again, no, I mean, making uh... hard quizzes. So... <laughs> It wouldn't, it wouldn't be Say Little Prayer. So I can give you some lyrics if that would help. Yeah, that would, would be great. very much help. Because the woman says, Tonight you're mine completely. You give your love so sweetly. <laughs> it's raining men. <laughs> Hallelujah, it's raining men. <laughs> but not that? It's not that <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right, Rob, I, I don't think we're going to get it, but I do yeah. think that our listeners would enjoy it. Is if you at least sang the words leading up to the title of the song. Oh, sure. And we can see if it'll I, give it away. I bet yeah. you'll get it. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, oh, oh. <laughs> Tonight you're mine completely. You gave me your love so sweetly. Tonight the light of love is in your eyes. Tomorrow. <laughs> We're almost there. Will you still love me tomorrow? Yes! <laughs> yes! That's it. That's it. It's yeah, Will You that. Still Love Me Tomorrow? That's it. Oh. Shirelles. <laughs> wow, that was actually amazing. That's really cool. <laughs> that worked out really well. <laughs> That's a great suggestion. It was kind of like watching Noah, it was like watching Wheel of Fortune and the letters like started filling <laughs> Oh my goodness. So question number eight, the final question. What Pope called for the boycotting of musical performances across Italy because of blasphemous imagery from the musician? From the specific musician whose music was banned. Yeah, and so I can tell you the musician, but that will give you a very big hint on the year. So I'm wondering if you know what Pope was the first to ever call for the boycott of musical performances across Italy. Uh... No, that's a great fact, but I don't know. I feel like it has to be someone recently. Well, it's all, remember, he said it was all recorded music. Right. So it's got to be, you know, 20th century ish. Um, Pope John Paul II was Pope for like a million years. Yeah, it's Pope John Paul II. It's Pope John Paul II. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And then it was in the 1980s. Can you guess what musical act or like even specifically what song had a lot of really blasphemous imagery in the music video? Madonna! <laughs> like a virgin. Um, yeah. It's um, No Little Prayer, I think, is the one. Okay. That has yeah. like, the burning crosses and she's mm-hmm. all like has the rosary on her. And... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the church condemned the music video, said that it was uh, misuse of the icons of the Catholic Church. Um, and he called for a boycott of her Italian concert tour dates. How did that go? So I think one of the shows was actually canceled. Oh, okay. But, but the rest, I think, were sold out. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the show in the Vatican there, like, we probably shouldn't do this anymore. <laughs> well, those wouldn't be Italian, because it's a different country. True. True. You got me. 
right. So you guys fair. I always got you, Emily. <laughs> You're my friend. Oh, you my friend. That's sweet. <laughs> Shut up, Rob. We're talking. <laughs> Don't ruin the moment. God, Rob. <laughs> All right. So you guys, you fared pretty well on my fairly difficult music quiz. It was a good one. Yeah. yeah it was nice. really good. We did work for it. <laughs> Thanks to our listeners for tuning in for our Sweet 16. Um, hopefully we'll see you guys for our next episode. Uh, and otherwise, check us out again on social media, at Fax Machine Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and Fax Machine Podcast on Facebook. Bye, y'all. Bye. Uh, oh, help, really quickly. The um, Eddie Redmayne's Harry Potter character. New King Rich. Not New King Rich. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, Newt Scamander. No, Newt Scamander. Excellent. Why, why did you ask and make me say Newt Gingrich out loud? You know I can't I say it another time. You know I can't say it another time or he'll appear. <laughs> Oof.